Today's scripture is Acts 8, 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do ye understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, silent before his shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So our story today involves a eunuch from Ethiopia. Uh, it's a delicate subject, probably, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe. So a eunuch uh, usually was someone who was castrated, uh, usually at an early age, and the reason being, which is, thank God we don't do this stuff anymore, uh, the reason being was that if you had a a rich, wealthy, or a ruling class uh, woman. They had a lot of needs, and they needed either someone to protect them or someone to take care of their stuff. In this case, someone to take care of the queen's treasury. Uh, you wanted someone who wasn't going to, you know, be philandering around with the the uh, uh, the woman in question. And so, who better? than someone who had been castrated. So that's what they did. Uh, and it, there was, in addition to folks who were put through this torturous uh, thing, uh, there were what was called natural eunuchs as well. Uh, and these were, folk, these were basically men who clearly were more like women. These days we might call that person transgender, uh, or something to that effect. And I, what I'll just say as a caveat to that is that I, I think sexual identity is complicated. 
It was complicated then, it's complicated now. But basically, there were in, at this time also people who were given the same kind of responsibilities because it was clear they were no threat. <laughs> so <laughs> you can take that for what it is. Suffice it to say, though, that this, this class of folks, these folks who had been mutilated uh, or uh, were, were kind of natural eunuchs, were met with some suspicion. And there were a lot of things, there were a lot of kind of stereotypes about them. There were a lot of things uh, about them that kind of put them on the outside of society. Suffice it to say that eunuchs usually hung around with other eunuchs when they weren't uh, at work. So uh, it, it was this, to, suffice it to say, this was a sexual minority that this Ethiopian eunuch represented. In addition to that, here was this guy, a foreigner in the land uh, that Philip had come. They come from Ethiopia, which is pretty much anything south of Egypt was considered Ethiopia or outside of Egypt. Uh, probably probably Afri- uh, African skin, probably black, uh, and uh, therefore looked very different than Philip probably did, being from Palestine, being a Hellenized Jew from that area. And uh, so in this, way, in this sense, this person really represents something outside of the norm of the recipients of the gospel at this time. Luke, in writing this story, ha- seems to have that in mind. Here is someone who is way outside of the norm. Now, I, I, could, I, will, I will say this person might have been on the margin. I won't say that this person was necessarily oppressed, uh, being the queen's treasury eunuch was uh, not a bad gig, all things being equal, you know, all things considered. Uh, you know, you ate well, you slept in good quarters, you had the run of, I mean, he had this caravan of chariots going along with him as he's driving along. So, you know, it wasn't a bad gig if you could get it, uh, other than the castration part. <laughs> but, <laughs> but aside from that, uh, you know, he was pretty well off. Another thing that put him outside of the realm of whom the disciples generally chose to speak to. Uh, so he was, he was, he had influence and affluence, but at the same time, he was also on the margins. He was someone who was outside of society's norms and represented uh, a, a minority group in that sense. And what I think we have here is a beautiful story uh, coming to us and, and a story from this eunuch who shows us a little something about what it's like to be a disciple of Christ, what it's like to be a follower of Christ in the world we live in today. You know, the, Philip comes upon this eunuch led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he approaches this eunuch and this eunuch asks some really good questions. He's reading the, the Jewish texts. Lord, who knows why? Maybe a, a Gideon left it in the, you know, he took it out of the hotel room he was, he was in and just happened to, looking for some reading. So he's got his Gideon and he's riding along and he's reading Isaiah. And Philip comes up and says, do you know what you're looking at? And the eunuch says, how do I know unless somebody guides me? How do I know unless somebody teaches me what I'm supposed to do? What a brilliant, open-minded thing 
uh, is being said here. I can tell you this, that if you were to troll my Facebook page, you would see an awful lot of people who think they know everything about what God has to say about everything. You don't have to look very far into my page or the, or the church's page to see people who feel so confident about speaking for God and seem so confident that they know exactly what God thinks and what God feels about this or that or the other. Uh, these are not what I call teachable Christians or teachable disciples of Christ. Lord, help us when we stop being teachable, when we stop wondering out loud, when we stop saying to ourselves, I could learn something new or something more about this. My, my theology, my thoughts, and my, I am always learning something new and exciting about God's Word, about the teachings of the Bible, about who Jesus is in the world and in my life today. I'm always learning something new. And it changes me. It changes the way I think about my Christianity, about my faith. We've got a, a lifelong discipleship means being teachable and spending your whole life. That's what disciple means, as a matter of fact. To be a follower of or, or studying the ways of or being a student of Jesus. If you're a student, you're learning. And so don't ever assume that you know it all already uh, and that you have it all nailed down. Uh, allow yourself to continue to wonder Allow yourself to continue to explore. Allow yourself to continue to question and to ask critical questions about what's being said and who's saying it and why they might be saying it. <laughs> and allow yourself to, uh, to hear what other people have to say. And I promise you, somewhere in there, the Holy Spirit is speaking. And uh, you will know the mind of God uh, through that openness. Pretty much close you, if you're closing yourself off to other people, you're closing yourself off to what God has to say as well. Then the Ethiopian asks this when, when Philip starts into this ex explanation of things. He's, he's reading Isaiah and he says, who is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about uh, someone else? This is good. This is good. Always be asking these questions. Who is this talking about? Who's it directed to? How does it? And you know, it's important to to know these questions. You know, and the answer to this passage that he's talking about there is is yes and no. Uh, it, Isaiah is talking about Isaiah, but it's easy for but for us as Christians, we appropriate this text to talk about Jesus too, and in a sense, it becomes more relatable to to this eunuch by reacquiring it through a Christian lens. To the, to the Jew, uh, during Isaiah's time, Isaiah was talking about his own time. But to the follower of Christ, when we hear, we, in speaking of Jesus, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And Isaiah's words lend themselves very well to describing what Jesus went through, the, the ostracizing, the beating, the shearing of the sheep. Believe me, when Philip is talking to this eunuch, he knows of what it means to go under the shears, if you know what I mean. He knows what it means to be 
pushed aside. He knows what it means to be left out and humiliated and disgraced. So who is this talking about? Talking about Jesus. Isaiah is talking about His time. Talking about me and you. Uh, It's feeding into our understanding of who Jesus is in our lives. And it gives us a way to relate to it. Well, there were other passages. He could have been reading Deuteronomy that says that anyone who's been mutilated is not permitted in the temple. He could have been reading things that ostracize him. But Philip brought this text, or he was reading this text, and Philip brought it to be inclusive of who this eunuch was and brought him inside instead of pushing him to the outside. So powerful was this message about who Jesus was. They're riding. He, he says, hey, come take a ride with me. I want to keep talking about this. And they're on the chariot uh, talking about all this stuff, probably yelling because, you know, chariots, loud and all that. But they're, So they're talking about all these things. And they come across a river and they see some water down there. And he says, wait a minute. What? Here's some water. What's preventing me from being baptized right now? Well, could be a lot, actually. (laughs) Could be a lot preventing him from being baptized right now. If he lived in the world we live in today, there could have been a lot of people saying, no, 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 no. You shouldn't be baptized. No, 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 no. You don't belong. Wait, wait a minute. You haven't fulfilled the right things. You haven't said the right things. You haven't done the right things. Uh, you're not living the right way. You don't look the right part. Uh, a lot of reasons why you couldn't be baptized, perhaps. But Philip said, I can't think of any. Let's go do it. And they went down and Philip initiated this man into the kingdom of God, into the family of Christ, into the church, the ecclesia, the community of Christ. He became a follower of the way, a disciple, a lifelong learner at that moment. A brother to you and me in Christ. What an amazing story. And here this man took hold of his own faith. Said there's nothing that should prevent me from claiming this faith as my own. And I'll tell you what, uh, we live in a world where sometimes, I, I was just told yesterday on a post sent to me that, you know, I'm going to hell and I'm taking all of you with me. You know, there's a lot of people who are eager to say, uh, when I ask the question, why shouldn't I be baptized? They have a lot to say about it. <laughs> or why shouldn't you be baptized? They have a lot to say about it. But what I would say is, no, no, no. We fight hard for our faith. We've hung on to it in spite of what people have said, in spite of what people have done, in spite of what we've been told, in spite of, uh, of not only what people outside have come to say about us and our own unworthiness, but sometimes the things we say to ourselves, stop being so hard on yourself. Sometimes we tell ourselves we are not worthy, we don't deserve it, we, do, we are unloved and unlovable and unlovely poppycock 
Jesus died on a cross to show you how much you are loved. Amen? Held back nothing from us to show us that the kingdom of God was ours to hold on to. Jesus fought and died for that. We can't give it up. Amen? We can't give it up. We have got to hold on to our faith. We've got to fight for it. And we've got to not let anyone tell us it doesn't belong to us. Amen? God help. I, I mean, I love our brothers and sisters in Christ from, uh, you know, in other places, but sometimes they make me so mad. Sometimes they make me so mad. And they, they want to they wanna build a box. And we've got to keep busting open that box because the kingdom of God is a big place. We can't let the world be so small. God wants that all of us that none should perish, but all should experience new life in Christ. Amen? And we've got to, oh, that our arms have got to be flung wide. So we've got to hang on to our faith. Ask these questions. Why shouldn't we be? Uh, take it from the, the eunuch who asked such great questions of what it means to be a disciple today. It's something we've got to work for, fight for and not let get taken away from us. Let us pray. Great and loving God, help us, Lord. So many of us are fighting. So many of Your followers are fighting amongst themselves. We hardly have time to minister to this hurt and broken world. Shame on us. Help us to hold on to our faith in spite of those disagreements and those fights. Help us to be lifelong learners and followers of you that we might grow into a deep and abiding and relevant relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ who is your revelation to us. We ask all this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.